welcome to Gold Diggers, a podcast on strategy, goals, and growth. We'll cover all sorts of topics on OKRs, KPIs, strategy, and everything in between. Gold Diggers is brought to you by Purdue, a powerful goal management platform that helps organizations bridge the strategy execution gap. Use Purdue to increase transparency, alignment, and accountability, and simply head over to purdue.com to sign up for your very own free account. That is P-E-R-D-O-O.com. Hi, I'm Henrik. I'm CEO of Purdue, and I'm the host of today's episode. With me today is Felipe Castro, an OKR consultant. We'll be talking today about what it takes to become successful with OKR. Felipe, could you give us a quick intro about yourself and your journey with OKR so far? Yeah, sure. So first of all, Henrik, thanks uh, for having me here. What I do, I basically help organizations shift from projects to outcomes using uh, an unique approach to OKR. Over the past years, I've taught thousands of people uh, worldwide how to write great OKRs using actionable techniques that they can actually use in practice. Right? Um, I mostly work with organizations where technology is key. I ran OKR workshops, uh, organizations such as uh, Expedia Group, Adobe, Target, The Home Depot, mostly companies either in North America and Europe. So talking about OKR, of course, like OKR has gained massive popularity. And I'm sure you've seen that with the traction that you've been getting uh, over the past couple of years and well, and how that has increased. A lot of the time, though, OKR seems to be misunderstood. And, and therefore, there are lots of organizations out there that don't really see the impact that they would that they had originally hoped for. From your experience, like what's the main cause for this? Yeah, that's a very common issue. Many organizations that they start using OKR, they get little or no benefits out of that. And the main reason for that is what I call the Tinkerbell approach to OKR. So in the Tinkerbell approach to OKR, you take a traditional organization or organization that's using traditional management practices, you sprinkle some OKR pixel dust on top of it, and boom, <laughs> you're magically going to turn to Google. Right, just think happy thoughts and you fly away. And that feels like a joke, but many organizations fall into that, into that trap, right? Um, I have some real stories. A, a very large bank, uh, a few years ago, they had a, a KPI dashboard, the same one they've been using for years. Then, one day to the next, they simply changed the label of the dashboard to say OKR. And the exact say, <laughs> those are OKRs, right? We are using OKR now. Yeah. True story. True story, right? Other stories. Um, one of so, our, so what, what is it about those organizations then? Like, is, is, is they just want to do OKR for, for the sake of doing OKR or being able to say that they do OKR? They simply don't understand how is that different. So, for example, okay. one of our enterprise clients, uh, we're working with a, a business unit inside a, a very large global enterprise. And one of the execs from another part of the org reached out to them and say, I got this OKR thing. It's the same thing you always did with goals, right? So I just feel like the same way I did with my goals last year. So, so <laughs> the, the thing with, with the Tinkerbell approach that they use OKR name only. They keep working the way they always did. They just call it OKR, right? Okay. And that's very common. They don't understand that adopt OKR is not goal. The goal is to change how you work. So OKR comes from a very different culture, that very different model. And to succeed in OKR, you have to shift, right? You have to change. So, so what you call the Tinkerbell approach is, is organizations just changing some naming conventions inside the organization, but not not like structurally changing how they approach work. Yeah, it's, it's using OKR name only, and yeah, yeah we, we see working the same way we always did. We just call it OKR, right? 
right? So just sprinkle some OKR on top of it and we move on. So because if you look at the whole history of OKR going all the way back to, to Andy Grove, it's always about giving people clarity of purpose and autonomy. So it comes from all the tech companies that we know, right? An environment where giving people autonomy to deal with innovation and certainty is, is key. So you've had Stephen Buggy in your podcast, and I love his work. He, he calls it leading with intent. He explained really well that the idea is you explain people what we want to achieve and why, and then people have the autonomy on the how. After they say, hey, that's what we're trying to achieve. That's why this is important. And then people have the autonomy to do it. Yeah. The problem is many organizations are really far away from that model. And the farther you are away from that, the harder it is to, to adopt OKR because you need to change. So many uh, organizations that they see Google using OKR and all the other companies using OKR, they, they believe they're successful because they use OKR. Yeah. But in fact, they are successful because they work in a different model and use OKR to leverage that different model. So to be successful with OKR, we've learned that organizations need, they need three things. The first one, you need senior leaders need to show commitment and consistency because they need to be committed to changing the organization. They need to show consistency over time because it has to be consistent with all the other management practices in the organization. Second, they need to learn how to use OKR in practice. Maybe many, many people don't have a clue on how to write a good OKR. And finally, the third thing, which is probably the hardest one, is to unlearn old models. So there's a lot of unlearning required when you adopt OKR. You need to unlearn how to write OKR, how to use goals, how to set them. You need to unlearn goals connected to compensation. You need to unlearn cascading. You need to unlearn many, many things from the traditional management, management so think- model. That, that's also related then to what you said at the start with, with how you approach OKR or, or how you approach consulting OKR with your clients. Um, because you mentioned that you help organizations switch from, from outputs to outcomes. Is, is that then reflecting the old and the new model? The old model being, fo- being focused on, on outputs, being focused on the things that you're doing, and then changing that to first deciding or, or focusing on the outcomes that you're after and then start deciding what you need to do in order to achieve those outcomes. Yeah. The way we, we usually teach people is that OKR doesn't matter. What matters is really learning to focus on the outcomes you want to achieve. Right? That's the real power. Yeah. If you simply use OKR to track a bunch of activities, you get nowhere. Yeah. So what we teach is OKR is a tool to help you focus on outcomes. So in fact, it's a tool to help you apply outcome planning, which is a business philosophy where you deliberately focus on outcomes. So our brain is wired to think about activities. Every time you, you see a problem, you start thinking about all the things you could do. So think about the many meetings you've been in your career. career. You see a problem, the first thing pe- people do is, what can we do? And start lifting ideas. And then you start, hey, who can do it? And when is it due? So you start thinking about projects and dates and owners of the, you don't think about, hey, how, what's the problem statement here? What are we trying to achieve? How do we know if we actually achieved it, right? So um, the most concise definition of outcome planning comes from uh, Stephen Covey. Begin with the end in mind. Yeah. So that you begin by deciding what you want to achieve and why you want to do that. And only that after you start thinking about how we're going to achieve it. That, that's from Stephen Covey from the book, uh, The yeah. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you, you mentioned something interesting, which I quickly wrote down, and that is that the human brain is wired to focus on activities. Like I've, I've also 
try to think where, where this is coming from. Um, and I thought that people find it very comfortable to focus on activities because the only measurement of success there is completion of your tasks. And that's fully within, within your control. Whereas it's, it's a lot, it, it might be a lot scarier um, to focus on uh, the outcomes that you're intended to achieve. Because it might be that the things that you're completing are not achieving the desired results, which means you have to go back and figure out why that is the case, what else you should try to, to influence these, these results. So I think it's a, it's a lot harder and, and therefore a bit scarier to focus on the outcomes instead of focusing on, on the activities. Or how, how do you see this? Where do, where do you think this is? Where is that coming from? That we're all so naturally focused on, on tasks, activities, everything that we need to do. Yeah, there, there are different reasons for it. One of them is, yes, it's scarier. Because when you focus on activities, you can say, hey, I did, I delivered the project. It's not my fault, right? That's definitely one reason for many people. Uh, but even uh, people who are used to focus on, focus on outcomes, like salespeople, when you stop thinking, when they think about the sales quota, yeah, they think in outcomes, but uh, after that, it's projects. <laughs> so they also tend to think about projects, right? Uh, so what happens is uh, there's a lot of scientific studies that show that our brain, we tend to think about the information which is readily available. So meaning the first thing you think about, which is the fastest thing they can think about, is usually an activity. Because defining a metric or something you never measured before takes a while. Thinking about a project takes a second, okay? So thinking about activity has the huge advantage of giving the feeling of progress. Yeah, we're moving forward. Yeah, we're defining the, an action plan. We have the dates and that's it. But if you don't know what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, you're right. It, it's a lot easier. I mean, everybody can sit down right now and decide and create a list of tasks that they need to complete today, this week. And starting with the end of mind, you need to think a bit further ahead, which is probably also a, a bit more complicated. And one other thing you mentioned. So you mentioned three things that are really important to succeed with OKR. Uh, one we just talked about that is unlearning the old models. And a big part of that or an important part of that is learning to switch from thinking in terms of outputs towards learning to think in terms of outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, you said that you need to learn how to use OKR in practice. That's, that's also complicated, of course. But the first thing that you mentioned was commitment and consistency from senior leaders. I mean, it's clear that you mentioned that that's important, but just how important is that? Have you seen OKR succeed coming bottom up within the organization? So like a few people inside a team or one particular team starting with OKRs and then spreading throughout the organization? Or is that just, is, is that senior leadership buy-in just mandatory for every organization to succeed with OKR? Uh, the minimal thing that you need, you need a leader that's willing to shield the team from the old way, right? So I've seen grassroots adoption of OKR succeeding the longer term, but there's always a leader that should, hey, yeah, yeah, you can work in this new way. Because what never works is, oh, the team is trying to do a grassroots adoption of OKR, they're trying to change, they're trying to focus on outcomes. But the leaders are saying, no, you need to ship that thing next week, so stop thinking about that. Right? So uh, I've worked with many organizations where the team is trying to use OKR to try to focus on outcomes, but they have so many deadlines, they have so many things to ship, regardless if they work or not, regardless if they make a difference or not, that eventually the, the, all the bottles of adoption dies out. So at the very least, you need a, a leader with the mandate to, to shield the team. It doesn't have to be the CEO if it's an enterprise company, but a, at least the senior leader has the mandate to shield a little chunk of the work from the old ways. That's the minimum. That's it. Okay. 
one thing you write about in your in your blogs and that we also talked about prior to the call is is that mindset change right um, and then again the thing that came up is is that companies well to derive value from okr they need to stop thinking in terms of activities and start thinking in terms of results and, and outcomes that they like to achieve if organizations fail at doing that uh, because you just mentioned that you, you can adopt OKR in your organization and and just use it to keep track of all the projects and tasks that you need to you need to complete. But what will that lead to then, in in your view? So if organizations um, are taking that Tinkerbell approach that you just described, what's happening then? What will happen further down the line? First of all, they they keep using goals of the way they always did and call it OKR. Right. Yeah. And I've I read somewhere uh, in Twitter that. The default state for corporate goals is to suck. <laughs> so the vast majority of corporate goals are terrible. And if you just if you call it a web OKR, they will just be just as bad, right? A few years ago, one uh, was at a conference in, in, in Amsterdam, uh, the OKR Forum, and uh, a group from a very large European bank reached out to me. Oh, we're trying to adopt OKR. We are failing. It's hard. People can't write good OKRs. And I asked them, okay, how many people are involved? Oh, 8,000 people. I said, wow, that's a large dollar. And what type of training have you provided them? Oh, we sent them a one-pager document on write to write OKRs. I said, wow, one page. I wonder why they can't write OKRs. Because they really believe, no, it's all about changing the names and the mindset. The problem with, with the term mindset Sometimes it feels like, oh, it's just a shift, a switch. I just press a button, change my mindset. It's about unlearning many of the things, about unlearning management practices, ways of working, reports, governance. There's a lot of things that need to change. As for example, if you suddenly tell everyone at Purdue, no, we need to focus on outcomes, et cetera. But there's still a report they need to fill out every week saying, I shipped that project that day. <laughs> or how yeah, many yeah. projects you have yeah. going on and you can't change them. And you so... That's, that's the lack of consistency I was talking about. So people don't realize how much they need to unlearn. Got it. You've also once said, I mean, speaking about unlearning, you've once said that organizations need to respectfully unlearn output agile. Is that the same? Is that, or is that something else that you meant by that? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, taking a step back, one of the things that uh, when you adopt outcome planning, it brings up precise, actionable language. Right? So there's a very specific definition of outcome, which is an outcome or the measurable beneficial effect on your customers, on your organization, or your employees. So you think about what's your target audience, which can be a customer, can be the organization itself, can be a fellow employee. And you think about what are the benefits we want to create for them and how we will measure it, right? So an outcome is the measurable beneficial effect on the clients, the organization, or the employee. So when you have that precise language, you stop talking about fuzzy things like value. Oh, we want to deliver business value. What is value? Value is fuzzy, ambiguous. Nobody has a clear understanding of what it is. People often confuse with revenue. So when you change and start using that outcome language, that precise language from outcome planning, you change the conversation. So you start talking about, okay, what's the benefit we want to create here? How will we measure it? So all about making a difference. It's not about shipping more stuff, it's about making a difference. So that's the first concept, the first item of the language, right? The second one is activity. Activities are what you do. Projects, programs, initiatives, tasks. 
affect user stories. Everything that you do, also that big umbrella of a TV. Okay? And that's, most people get it after five seconds when you explain it to them. Okay, that's easy. And then we usually tell people, okay, a result has to be measurable. And I often refer to the famous quote from uh, Marisa Meyer, not with PR product from Google. If it doesn't have a number, it's not a key result, right? That's a very easy path to make a distinction between an activity and key result. That's the bare minimum. But the problem is we tend to measure what's easy to measure and not what we should measure. And the easier thing to measure is counting how many activities you did, right? And that's the definition of output. Right? The dictionary definition of output is the amount of something produced. So we did three podcasts. Yay! This is a measure of output. It's measurable. It has a number in it. So it gives people the false impression. Yay! We're measuring things, right? We're doing it right. No, you're not. Because we're not here to do more podcasts, right? We need to make a difference by the podcast. So you have to have a much harder and deeper conversation around what they're trying to achieve with the Go Diggers podcast. We have to get people to listen to it. We have to get people to comment on it, to share it with their friends. We have actually generate leads for people. What are we trying to achieve? What are those measurable beneficial effects you want to create? So shifting from outputs, measuring how many things you shift to outcomes, the measurable benefits, the difference you're trying to make, that's a big lift for people, right? Because most organizations, if you check their strategic goals, it's usually projects, lots of output metrics, <laughs> and very, very few things that are not revenue, surveys, or things like that. So things that are very easy to measure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure that if you go to Purdue and take, take a list of the most of the clients that use your software, you see mostly financials and surveys, right? Things like personal satisfaction, employee satisfaction. That's the standard we see everywhere. So they need to learn how to go beyond that. I guess people quickly look at the data that they have available, right? Um, and, yeah. and instead of the, the data that they need to have available. Um, there's a few, yeah, a few interesting things that you mentioned, but also related to the, uh, to the measuring outcomes. So relating that to the podcast, for example, if, if you do have a clear uh, what you're expecting from the podcast, um, then when you, from such a podcast that, that we recently started, of course, then when you start working on it, I think the learning component is, is so much more powerful um, because you're trying different things and all of a sudden you see if the things that you're working on are having the desired effect or not. Um, and I think that that learning component is can be can be so powerful. It can be so valuable, not only for an organization, but I also think for you as an as an individual employee within such a big organization. Because I mean, the knowledge that you gain, which definitely would increase your market value, is knowledge that you could bring to another organization should you should you join them. I think that's that's extremely powerful. And once you're into it, I think it's it's very. It can be very addictive, can be very exciting, right? To see that the things that you're working on, the things that you're doing are actually having a measurable impact on the organization. However you call that. I like what you said about value, it being still a very vague term, even though I've been using that term myself a lot as well. Yeah, so you mentioned the second thing, which is probably the most important, which is giving people purpose, right? Yeah. When you say, why are we doing this? And how are we measure it? Giving that feedback loop is crucial. So one of the things we need to learn is that measurement is not bad. Management is not about punishing people if they don't achieve it. Management can be about, hey, those are our ambitions, and this is our purpose. This is how we can feel progress, right? This is how people get feedback to say, yeah, what we're doing is working. It's, it can be a really powerful thing when you use measurement for the 
right in a positive way. But or perhaps that's the difference between management and leadership, that what you're describing, that's yeah. probably true leadership, but true leadership is about, whereas the other, the other, yeah, the other side of that is, is, is more what people would call management, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things we need to unlearn is the, the whole idea of the sticks and carrots approach. So it's all about punishing or rewards, where people don't have intrinsic motivation, right? And there's a lot of science that shows that people have intrinsic motivation when they have a clear purpose, they understand the why, right? So giving people purpose is a core component of OKR and outcome planning. Right? People love knowing, hey, what I'm doing is making a difference, right? You're more creative, more engaged, more satisfied, with increased employee retention. There are several benefits of giving people purpose, right? And actually, people are demanding that. So if you want to attract and retain talent, giving people purpose is crucial. So we need to learn some of the old things. And one of the challenges with, with uh, when we say you need to measure things, is that most of us, we have a very bad history with measurement. You think about the first way that you, the first time you see measurement is a teacher grading you a test, right? And you see, oh, you did that wrong, Henrik, and you did that wrong, and you get a grade. So you basically, the school teaches us that measurement is about showing us when we are wrong. So it's a bad thing. Instead of showing, hey, measurement can be, hey, this is what you learn, this is how you evolved, right? So it can be a very good thing. So you can compare, say, bad measurement or bad for punishment with how most people react positively with sport scores, right? A, a score in a game is a, is a measurement, but everybody is motivated by it, right? Yeah, we're winning. We, still have time. <laughs> we can't do that. That's the way you should use measurement. It's not about, hey, Henry, you missed three points here and you're, you're fast and now you're done and then you have to go to whatever, right? So it's a huge lift for organizations, right? And leaders that are successful in adopting OPR, they create that safe environment, right? Where people understand, yeah, oh, those are just our ambitions. We're not expecting to achieve every single one of them, right? We're dealing with uncertainty here. So building that safe environment where people know they can try different things and try be more aspirational is crucial. So that's part of the role that leaders play in this environment. Yeah. So, and if you track people, oh, you have to ship the thing. There's a there's a deadline. Think about that term, deadline. <laughs> the origin of that term is uh, the U.S. Uh, Civil War. It was a, a prisoner camp. I never thought about it this way, it. but now that you say it like this, <laughs> well, I get where that's, you... that's a true story. Is the the origin of the term is during the the U.S. Civil War. They had a prisoner camp, and they drew a line in the sand, and they say this is the deadline. If you cross it, you're dead. So that's where the term yeah. deadline comes from. <laughs> so if you want to motivate people, saying, "Oh, that's the deadline," maybe not the best way to get people to be ambitious, aspirational, right? Sure. Innovative, right? So. So changing the language is important. So I've seen many organizations start calling OKRs. No, those are our ambitions. Those are not necessarily our goals, but we are really committed to those ambitions. So we want to move forward. We, we, we take it serious, right? But it's not a goal in the traditional sense, even though, of course, OKR is a goal framework, right? It falls under the general umbrella of goals. But in many organizations, goals have such a bad reputation <laughs> if you say goals, people freak out, right? Because they've been punished so many times, they've been burned by using corporate goals. So, again, going back to the underlying team, there's a lot 
open learning around being successful with OKR. Yeah. Related to that, related to that unlearning, is there like is there like a, a piece of advice that you have for our listeners? Is there anything that they can do themselves or that they should be doing in order to uh, to help them with that unlearning? Yeah, I think we, we skipped the, the 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 part on output agile, right? We should go, go back to that. So uh, the idea is agile as a movement is an extremely powerful thing. It, they change the world. Um, but the problem that we're trying to solve is how do we ship better software, right? So it's about shipping things. Yeah. And if you think about the concept of output, right, the amount of things that you ship, how many things you did, and you think about most of the, the metrics used in the Azure world is about number of points that you ship, it's about velocity, how many things you ship, is about the definition of done, right? Uh, so is is that what what agile is about? Is that is that is that uh, more focused on on how you're delivering outputs, or how would you uh, define agile? Yeah. So the idea is first of all, delivering activities is very important, right? So the way I explain people is that since we our brain tends to think about activities, we need to learn how to manage separate buckets. So you keep your activities in one bucket, you keep your objects and key results in separate buckets, right? So you ship things, you measure OKR, right? OKR gives you the feedback if your the activity made a difference or not, right? So if you do you do one thing, you measure it. Oh, if it's working, you do more of it, right? If it's not working, you do something else. That's the idea. So Agile helps you ship things, ship your activities. It's an extremely important thing. Right? But most of the language that people use in, in Agile is around output. Right? So that's the bit you need to unlearn. So things like measuring the number of points that you ship, measuring velocity, measuring the concept of definition of done. Do we need the definition of done or definition of success? Because if I ship half the thing I expected, but I move the metric, maybe it's fine, right? So if we focus on what we want to achieve and not on just a task list, we need to unlearn many of the concepts of, from, from Agile. And the way many people teach Agile is you have the stakeholders, they decide what to do, they hand out to the team, the team's putting the backlog and they, they do it. So you can still use Agile, you, people use Scrum and Kanban and uh, Agile frameworks, but the big change from telling people, this is what we need to achieve, this is the why, this is important, and now the team has the autonomy on the how. So they can come up with ideas. They figure out what should be built. So, so this is to, then uh, this is then how how agile and, and OKR complement each other. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of my 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 clients they use some form of agile frameworks, of course. Yeah. But we change the way they use it. So a learning parcel of the output focus of of agile. So one example of that output agile approach. The title of the book by one of the co-creators of Scrum is Twice the Work in Half the Time. So about shipping more things faster versus making a difference. Yeah. So twice the work in half the time is an output measure, right? I'm shipping more things. It's not about, are we doing the right things? Are we actually making a difference? What are, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? So if you ship, say, twice the software in half the time, but nobody uses it, so what, right? Yeah. So 
Shifting that mindset for that's the difference that, between efficiency and effectivity, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, since you brought it up, I love that quote from Peter Drucker that says, "There's nothing as useless as doing with great efficiency, that which should not be done at all." <laughs> yeah. So uh, be, yeah. being very efficient in shipping the wrong things doesn't get a you anywhere. Project that doesn't make a difference. So what? Right? We should have yeah. done that project to begin with. So unlearning that mindset of token outputs of how many things we ship, of keeping more, it's part of the, the challenge of PR. So we also try to learn some bits of that output agile approach. They're about learning agile, they're about learning uh, soft using grammar combat, but tweaking and changing the way you, you teach it, the way you use it, right? And that's a big thing to learn as well. Yeah. So yeah, basically what you're saying is that, that Agile and OKR go perfectly hand in hand and that OKR can add a lot of value to Agile by making sure that the things that you are producing in an Agile way are actually adding value. <laughs> I fall in the trap of using it now again, <laughs> adding value to the organization. Yeah, but, but, but it's a good thing that you put in the trap because value is such a fuzzy word that for many people, they believe value is, oh, so Henrik is my boss. He told me to ship this thing. I showed it to him. He approved it. That's value. No. And, and I agree to that. So I'm trying to right? unlearn that <laughs> using that yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But uh, that's the part of Azure that we need to unlearn. So yeah. OKR and Azure go hand in hand. As long as you're willing to unlearn some of the bets that are 20 years old, right? Some of the things that used to be back to Bernard, Hedrian Access Tests, right? Yeah. So that's the... So they can go hand in hand as long as you're willing to unlearn some of the bets from output agile. Yeah. This has been a really interesting conversation, Felipe. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us. But before we let you go, um, is there one other piece of advice that you'd like to share with our, with our listeners today? I think that the, the, the main piece of advice is, is you know, understand that you need to unlearn many things that you both you are, right? Uh, my big reference for, for that is the book Unlearn by Barry O'Reilly. And Barry has the, the definition of um, learning, which is to move away from mindset and behavior that were effective in the past, but now limit our success. So there are many techniques and concepts like business value, like measuring story points. They were used in the past, but no, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago when they were created, but now they're limiting our success. So we need to unlearn many of those things. Right? And that's a big, big thing to do in OKR. Uh, so, and of course, leaders need to do most of their learning because they show that commitment and create that safe environment for teams that you're not going back to the old model. We're trying OKR and we're doing it in a consistent way. I think that's a great piece of advice to end today's uh, episode with. Uh, for our listeners, we'll add a link to that book uh, in, the, in the podcast description. Uh, Philippe, I enjoyed having the conversation uh, with you today. Uh, it's great to reconnect again. I hope you enjoyed it as well because we'd love to welcome you on our podcast again. Uh, but for now, thanks a lot and uh, have, a, have a good rest of your day. <laughs> thanks, Henry. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to Gold Diggers to stay up to date with all our upcoming episodes.